Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. The events that have unfolded in Afghanistan over the past few weeks have been devastating. As American troops withdraw, the U.S.-supported Afghan government has collapsed, and the nation's biggest cities are under control of the Taliban, a militant group. The U.S. and allies are trying to evacuate U.S. citizens, Afghan allies, their families, and many others fearing for their lives in the war-torn country. And though this nearly 20-year-long war has been led by four presidents, the responsibility of this withdrawal has fallen on the shoulders of one, President Biden. Biden sold himself as the perfect, even-handed, experienced leader to undo Trump's foreign policy missteps. But his push to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan, the rapid pace of that withdrawal, and the ensuing chaos has called that claim into question. Is this moment a test of Biden's competence? And is he passing that test? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. Later in the show, we'll talk to Washington Post White House reporter Matt Viser about what this moment means for Biden. But first, we wanted to hear from someone who's been a close witness to the steady withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan under President Trump and the shocking pace of the drawdown under President Biden. I come from a very apolitical background. Nobody from my family ever worked for the government. I am the first person, in fact. Roya Romani is an Afghan diplomat who served as Afghanistan's first female ambassador to the United States from December 2018 up until last month. Can He Do That? producer Arjun Singh spoke to her earlier this week. By the time I was appointed ambassador to the United States, I worked night and day. And every single day I woke up thinking, what can I do more? I also remember that as every single day, every single time, as I have passed the U.S. Capitol, the White House, around that area, I looked at it and I remember that, oh my God, this is such a huge responsibility. This is the place where everything has huge consequences. Of course, it was... uh, a lot to deal with, but at the same time, it was energizing. I kept going and going and going, trying to do something to save my country, to save the situation, to make it, to contribute to it positively. That effort to make a difference is part of the reason why the events of Afghanistan's past few weeks have been particularly difficult for Romani to watch. I feel sick physically, mentally, emotionally. I have this huge dilemma of who to trust, how to trust. As I was hearing continuously in the days and weeks before that how these Afghan security forces were prevented from fighting, 
they were not allowed to fight. The command coming from higher up was not to resist and to hand over everything to the Taliban. We all heard that over and over from, from those that were in the first line of defense. They were told to give up and hand it over. I started by saying, I am sick because I feel I have a dilemma. I don't know what, how you can possibly trust. So trust in what? We put so much blood, sweat, and energy as Afghans, together with our international allies over the past 20 years, for a better future, for the hopes that, that our children will live in an Afghanistan that they can be proud of, that they can, they can relate to, that they can contribute to, that they can see themselves and their futures invested. To see this, of course, Afghanistan has been dealing with a lot of problems, but the, some of the top problems have been leadership, corruption, lack of rule of law, and a functional justice system. These were really the core. And then, when it comes to the international community, there were no consistency, there were no clarity. The international community spoke with two sides of its mouth. We are supporting you, but we have a deadline to leave. There was no way, no way on earth that you could defeat an insurgency by giving them a deadline that by this time we are leaving. And under that circumstance, that was given that there was no way to militarily defeat the Taliban. Before entering government, Romani worked for several nonprofits that primarily focused on women's rights and education. She's doubtful about the Taliban's promise to be more progressive and to not go after women's rights. That would be a very optimistic uh, view. I don't think I am there to think that way. What I'm hearing about women are extremely worried. They are very concerned. They are almost accepting that they won't have the same rights and liberties that they have been enjoying and building and claiming over the past 20 years. They also know that they are always the ones to suffer the most under any crisis. They do not have political, financial, and social capital. So their rights are always used as a bargaining chip in any political discussion. So under the circumstances, in order to survive, I, he I see their messages saying, let's hope we can work with them. Let's hope that they will be reasonable. Let's hope that we would be able to secure most of our gains, but they are very worried. Many of them are looking for a way out. The news from Kabul was that women are saying to each other not to come out of their houses. The news was that the streets of Kabul are vacated from its women, that they have already gone somehow in hiding 
and somewhat we have become invisible. Given where things are now, the news from the streets of Kabul, as Romani describes, was there another way for the U.S. to withdraw, for this war to end? Romani thinks so. Absolutely. Definitely. And I will tell you what, what could have happened. The international community knew that the Afghan government is not willing to share power. There were a lot of people who were in power who, could, who wanted the continuation of status quo because it made their pockets deeper. They knew that. They knew it very, very well. For the international community to broker a, a, a peace deal or political settlement deal, not give them a platform to go to the hotels, to negotiate, not negotiate, travel, get fat, have the stipends and whatnot, but to put a term and conditions of a settlement in front of them, the international community could have provided the negotiating team a draft settlement, ask them to fill it out in a day or two, a week at max, work it out, agree to it, then take it to Kabul, be there to enforce it, uh, get a number of UN peacekeepers to monitor it, and then it would have been a whole different scene. There could have been a new transitional government, inclusive of all of those. It wouldn't have been perfect. It, maybe there would, would have been some militias and some fighting and this and that. It wouldn't have been this. Today, there is no money in Afghan banks. Everything is looted. So it, it could have been a different situation. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. Just last month, President Biden laid out how the troop withdrawal might happen. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comfortable. He even addressed the threat of a Taliban takeover. The jury is still out, but the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. So how did everything play out so differently than he promised? Here's where I turn to Washington Post White House reporter Matt Viser. That is something that is being disentangled, I think, now and, and for, for months, if not years to come. It is sort of whether this is an intelligence failure, whether President Biden was being given uh, bad intelligence about what was happening on the ground, or whether Biden was being given the right intelligence but was overlooking it. It was this sort of a level of hubris on the part of the president who 
who certainly knows the country. He knows the situation quite well. But all of his predictions as of five weeks ago have not proven correct. He misjudged the Taliban and how quickly they would take over not only the country, but Kabul itself. So I I think that that is something that even members of his own party, Senator Mark Warner, for example, has said that they're going to be asking tough questions of, of this administration of what sort of went wrong over these past couple of days. And even at the White House, officials there, they concede that this is not gone as they thought it would. I mean, there was a date that Trump had kind of agreed to in May and, and Biden sort of extended that later. But then there was a lot of decisions and things that were happening in Afghanistan over the past couple of weeks that was expedited. And we don't have good answers as to what the pressure points was for making those decisions. I think that's another thing that will probably be looked at in the weeks to come. But they've kind of rejected the opportunity to to talk about uh, sort of what went wrong in their eyes. They're sort of most focused on getting people out of Afghanistan, solving the immediate crisis before they, they sort of get into what they misjudged and what went wrong. And in an effort to maybe understand why, what do we know about Biden's views on drawing down the war in Afghanistan and how we arrived at this moment? going back at least a decade or more, back to his role as vice president in the Obama administration. He was very skeptical of of adding more troops during debates within the Obama administration about what to do in Afghanistan. He's been on the side of withdrawing and, and, and cutting down on the military presence in, in Afghanistan for quite some time. This was also something that came up during the campaign for his 2020 race. I gave the answer. You, do I bear responsibility? Zero responsibility. Mm-hmm. The responsibility I have is to protect America's na- national self-interest and not put our women and men in harm's way to try to solve every single problem in the world by use of force. That's my responsibility as president, and that's what I'll do as president. It was one of the sort of rare areas of alignment that he had with President Trump of of wanting to reduce and bring home the troops. So his decision to withdraw has not been a surprising one. It's been one that's been forecast for a long time, you know, again, going back probably a decade. I think the, the more surprising part has been the execution of the decision to withdraw and and the conditions on the ground that has shocked even some within his own administration and, and sort of how that's part of this has unfolded. So during his presidential campaign, Biden heavily pitched himself as this compassionate, empathetic alternative to Donald Trump. Yet in the last few days, Biden's response to the plight of Afghan civilians has been described by some as cold. And as someone who's spent a lot of time around Biden, have you seen a different side of the president than his normal public persona in the past few days? He's definitely sort of more defensive and and dug in and and trying to defend his decision-making process, largely on the overall withdrawal from Afghanistan. And that position is relatively popular uh, among the American public. He's tried to get around a little bit of the other scenario, which is just the images of, of how the withdrawal has taken place, which is a little bit different from the withdrawal decision itself. You know, those are the images people have been seeing over the last three or four days of a more chaotic situation in Afghanistan. And I would say, you know, on Monday when Biden spoke about this, he spoke very forcefully about American troops who were not risking any more lives. And it was a little bit less of the empathy that we see for him for for lives in general. So what's happened? Afghanistan political leaders gave up 
and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed, sometime without trying to fight. If anything, the developments of the past week reinforced that ending U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan now was the right decision. American troops cannot and should not be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not willing to fight for themselves. We spent over a trillion dollars. You've seen images of Afghan citizens sort of clutching an American airplane as it as it heads into the sky and people falling from that plane. And And Biden did not channel quite as much of the sorrow for those people as he did for not wanting to risk any more American lives in this conflict. You know, he did run as a calming president. America would be predictable, a leader on the world stage. And, and he would sort of restore faith in democracy and American government and the ability for the government to be able to do big things. You know, we're seeing that in, in all sorts of areas in the first seven months in his office with COVID response, with with big legislation passed by Congress. And, and this is the sort of the main thing that maybe cuts against that argument, where the response from the withdrawal has, has seemed anything but calm that it has been far messier than anybody had anticipated. And why did they underestimate the Taliban and, and how quickly they could take over the country? And I don't know that we have answers to many of those questions yet, I, but I, I do think a lot of people who have worked with Biden and who have worked with a lot of people in the, this administration have seen are, are surprised at sort of what's unfolded and the, and the scenes that we've seen on television screens throughout the past couple of days. Publicly, he has seemed really strong, really defensive. And I'm wondering internally if you've heard anything going on inside the White House that would allude to some remorse or a sense of disappointment of how things went in Kabul, specifically from the president and and his feelings on it. I think he has been forceful in some of these meetings is the way people have described him. I mean, I think he is not pleased with the way that the past few days have gone and the images that have been out there. Whether that gets into blaming any particular people, I don't know. There's clearly in public and private comments frustration with the former Afghan leaders. I think Biden has been frustrated that they met with Ghani and, and other leaders from Afghanistan over the past couple of months. And the way that Biden administration officials describe it is that they didn't live up to a lot of their ends of the bargain and things that Biden and his administration were asking them to do to prevent a situation like this. So I think as much frustration that Biden has, there's a decent amount of frustration that's external rather than internal in, inside his own administration. But I think certainly the way that his officials have described it to us is had they known that this was going to happen so quickly, Biden would not have left the White House late last week to head to Camp David and kind of starting his vacation, you know, this week and next week were supposed to be pretty downtime for the president. And had they known that Afghanistan would fall so rapidly, they would not have scheduled that and they would have handled things differently themselves. So I think everybody inside of his administration, including the president himself, was sort of shocked at how quickly things transpired in Afghanistan. To that point, do you have a sense of whether or not the pressure in these circumstances to withdraw and withdraw quickly was coming sort of from Biden downward? Or was this pressure from some of his advisors kind of leading Biden to make these decisions to move things faster? Did it stem from Biden or did it really stem from somewhere else within his administration? 
I think the, the way that everybody has described this is Biden being intimately involved every step of the way and being sort of a decision maker in this. So the impression that we have is that Biden himself has been calling many of these shots and sometimes not going along with the advice of some of his military advisors. And frankly, that's another thing that dates back a, a long ways with Biden and, and being skeptical of the Pentagon, you know, he sort of viewed Obama at times getting jammed, as he would say, by Pentagon advisors who who had an interest in staying in Afghanistan and, and continuing a military presence. So Biden for a long time has been sort of skeptical of the advice that he gets from the military. So that frankly could also be playing out here where, where Biden is getting certain pieces of advice, but is skeptical because for years and years they have wanted to stay longer and longer in Afghanistan. And so he views this as a as a important decision to pull out uh, again though it's it's like how you pull out that i think is is the major question that he's facing right now and just to kind of bring us up to speed since last weekend since everything we saw what has the administration done in response where do things stand now I mean, they've been a little bit more proactive, I think, in trying to forecast that they are starting to get things under control. That right now, a lot of the effort is focused on a secure airfield and getting people out of the country. And and so we're getting more routine updates about how many people they're they're getting out. President Biden has been on the phone a little bit more. He's talked with Boris Johnson in the United Kingdom, Angela Merkel in Germany. So he's been coordinated a little bit more with some of our NATO allies, which is quite frankly different from where things were a couple of days ago, where again, Biden was kind of on vacation and even on vacation, the president can still be in touch with people. So he was at Camp David having conference calls, but it's a little bit different from being back at the White House and back in the flow and, and kind of all hands on deck administration wide. And so I, I think that they they realize the severity of the situation and really over the past couple of days have been having a lot more public facing from the administration. The National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, spent it seemed like an hour in the briefing room taking many, many questions from reporters. So they're, they're trying to have a, a little bit more of a forceful response and a, and a public face to the problem. And yet it's not just what's happening in Afghanistan that exists to potentially challenge this notion of a stable presidency. For example, we have now seen a rise in the Delta variant of COVID-19 in this country. And the administration appears to be a little bit unprepared, a little bit caught off guard. Is there any sort of reckoning with that inside the White House? They clearly came in and and a lot of the issues that they faced were not things that they created. You know, they inherited a lot of problems, COVID-19, the economy, global uncertainty about America's role. And so I, I think for most of that, they have focused on trying to fix some of those problems. I think the difference with Afghanistan is it's something that Biden himself had a little more control over in the decision-making process and how it went than some of those other problems. But you're right that the White House has been focused on a booster shot we have a responsibility to give the maximum amount of protection, all of you the maximum amount. Earlier today, our medical experts announced a plan for booster shots to every fully vaccinated American, adult American. You know, this will boost your immune response. It will increase your protection from COVID-19. That's the best way to protect ourselves. Much less existing congressional legislation that is very much in limbo and, and doesn't have any certain outcome at this point. So I, I think that the administration is facing multiple crises still. And 
it's seven months into the administration where I think Biden sort of takes a little bit more ownership of the problems and how they confront them then maybe people were giving him a little bit of wiggle room or time to get his footing, you know, in January and February. Now it's up to him and he takes full responsibility for all of these decisions. On the note of the booster shots news, it's very interesting because the administration has said that they will recommend booster shots at home while there are still shortages abroad, coupled with the exit from Afghanistan in the same week. It almost seems like Biden is having his own version of an America first moment. Is that part of a bigger calculation by the administration? I mean, I don't know that it's a calculation in terms of the timing, but I certainly think it does reflect how much has changed and sort of Biden's own kind of doctrine that you're starting to see from a foreign policy perspective, where he does talk about American troops. Now he's talking about American vaccines. And it doesn't mean totally withdrawing from the world the way that Trump often talked about. But there's still a a diplomatic area of it. But, you know, like the World Health Organization, for example, I, I think was critical a little bit of the third shot for Americans before the first shot for many in the world Biden is still a member of the World Health Organization. Trump wanted to get out of it altogether, but Biden is not necessarily going along with what they're asking. Now, there's some world leaders who say America shouldn't get a third shot until other countries got their first shot. I disagree. We can take care of America and help the world at the same time. In June and July, America administered 50 million shots here in the United States. And we donated 100 million shots to other countries. That means that America has donated more vaccine to other countries than every other country in the world combined. During the coming months... So he's willing to do an American first kind of style for booster shots and think about American troops first before trying to fix a country on the other side of the world. All right, Matt, you will be traveling with Biden this weekend. What will you be watching for? What do you expect to unfold? Well, I think it's those unexpected events. You know, this week was supposed to be kind of a down week. He was supposed to be in Wilmington for for most of this week in Delaware, playing golf, relaxing and and having a little bit of downtime. And and so I think now it's, it's those unexpected events where he has to address something that, that he did not necessarily anticipate. And, and sometimes when he goes to Delaware, we frankly don't see that much of him. He likes to spend time at his house. He, he goes golfing. He'll go to church. Bike rides. He's always bike riding. The bike rides. <laughs> so it's the question of like, will we see him? And will we have reason to see him? And, you know, I, th- I think that things can pop up around the world that he wants to respond to. And that will be the question in addition to whether, frankly, we, we go to Delaware because this trip has been changed a couple of times already. So, it, you know, it's a little bit tenuous whether, whether we even end up there or how long we end up there. All right, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? For updating coverage of Afghanistan, visit WashingtonPost.com. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Cheryl Freeland and Arjun Singh, with logo art from Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Muldoon. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. 
Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.